Hi there. Is the fan electric ghost? Do we have Angela right? So you can hear me? Yes, I can. Great. So we like to do a little intro. Um, Fam Electric Coast is a podcast where we interview indie artists from around the world. We've been doing it since 2018, and we have about 22,000.3K uh, in listeners since 2018. Perfect. So you are from Salt Lake City, City Utah, right? Yes, that is where I was born and raised. You <laughs> went to the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. I actually live in New Hampshire. Um, oh, so close. I have friends that live there. Yeah, and um, so you were in Boston in 2018. You were a vocal principal. Yeah, vocal principal, um, and I was going to major in songwriting. But I decided to move down to Nashville, Tennessee instead. So Nashville, (laughs) that's a big scene. You know, Jack White's there. All these great bands are there. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's not just a country scene. It's like a music scene. Yeah, that that was my, like, main goal in moving here was it was just – as much as I loved Berkeley and I love Boston, the music scene there isn't as happening. So yeah, here was kind of the, it was either here or LA and I felt uh, the community vibe is stronger in Nashville. Yeah, if you want to be a music director or be a recording engineer, that's probably a good place to start. But if you want to actually be in the business where you are, it's probably better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I hope. <laughs> so so we have, what we like to do is we sent the questions to you but um, so we're going to go through that and we're going to probably pick out some of the things that are in your bio by just going through the questions. Yeah. Um, so when did you first get into music at what age? Um, I have been singing for as long as I can remember. I remember that I came home one day in kindergarten and I had a crush on a boy in my class and I was down playing with my Barbies and my mom came down and heard me singing and it was this jazzy, rich, like, tone. And what, my mom was just like, what, "Like, where have you heard music like this? Like, what is this song? And I was like, oh, I made it up. <laughs> wow, so uh, you had singer-songwriter capability early. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I think it's always just been a, a part of me. So so you've been working on music since that age. And I guess, like, the second question is, like, how long have you been working on it? Yeah, um... I've been taking singing lessons since I was about eight years old. (laughs) I was classically trained in uh, musical theater and opera originally, actually. And then when I was about uh, 14 or so, I was like, you know, I actually really like like writing my feelings down and singing like pop music. Um, And I got more and more into that, especially through high school. I like did bands and wrote my own music and recorded with a really great band um, air supply for a while so that was awesome that's cool so that's not the australian air supply it's like a different air supply. no it is actually yeah it is the oh. classic so is it the original members or were yeah, they, have yeah. they changed? the original members um, oh that's awesome i'm a child of the 70s so i know exactly who <laughs> you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah, yeah i yeah. mean I got the pleasure to open up for them a couple times um, when they were touring. And uh, Graham Russell, the original member, is like one of my friends now at this point. He's always been a mentor of mine. Uh, so That's awesome because, you know, I, I kind of grew up listening to, you know, Tapestry and the Carpenters. And yeah, yeah. I singer-songwriters back then, you know, everything was well-crafted. They were going to, like, great studios, had great, you know, Neve soundboards and 
<laughs> Absolutely. All yeah. of those kind those kinds of music are my inspiration. So that's great. Yeah, I was seeing that. We're gonna to get to that. But um so you realized you had a talent pretty early and you you started writing your own material. One of the questions, like when do you start writing your own material? And you were already doing that at the beginning. Yeah, I uh, mean like I think it's like as far as just like random ideas as if it was like a diary since I was about seven. But uh actual good songwriting I would say probably came along when I was about fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, so I was reading about your influences, but I'll, I'll let you, I've, I've read what they are, but I'll ask you the specific questions, like who are your you know, greatest influences and reference points in your music? Yeah, um, one of my favorite singers of all time is Etta James. I've, ever since I was a little girl, I aspired to be her <laughs> as far as her sound is concerned. But uh, as more of an artist, I really love... Uh, Chris Isaac, he's got, you know, those mm-hmm. haunting elements to his music. I love uh, Lana Del Rey and Adele. I think, like, the production on Lana Del Rey music is just really impressive to me. So it's always kind of caught my eye. Adele's vocals are just... Phenomenal, um, yeah. Yeah, you get, they blow you out of the water, you know. Um, so I've always kind of taken influence from those kinds of artists as well as like Florence and the Machine I think she's yeah that's great I mean Florence and the Machine kind of channels a little Tori Amos to me yeah because I kind of like her story was kind of similar to yours she was I think going to like a conservatory doing classical and she really had pop sensibilities but she's a classically trained pianist and what she what's cool is that she brings that classically trained pianist capability into pop music yeah, exactly. I mean, that I that's think always that, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful to see the way that music can be tied together in so many different ways. Like you can you can take a like, for example, when I was at Berkeley, I really I'd never really listened to much bluegrass. And there was this small little ensemble at Berkeley that did bluegrass. And I went to their performances and I was just like blown away because just some of these instruments that people don't typically think of, like the banjo or the dobro. Okay. And how you can apply that in, in contemporary music is really interesting to me. Yeah, well, I grew up listening to Dylan in the band. And uh-huh. you're into Robbie Robertson in the band. They used to do this Americana, which yeah. is kind of like using, you know, you know, really traditional banjos and violins and, you know, hardcore pianos and just, you know, like a bar band that became phenomenal. You know, they, they had this kind of country aesthetic, but a bunch of them were Canadian but they channeled this Americana, even though they were Canadian. Yeah. Um, and then they worked with Dylan. Dylan had this whole history of creating this kind of country, Western folk, kind of modern folk. There were, you know, Woody Guthrie, Olo Guthrie, kind of all mixed together. And then he found his own voice. And I thought that was always really interesting. I've very much been a Dylan in the band and Neil Young, you know, guy um, growing up in terms of the songwriting. Because I'm an electronic musician. You know, I'm a keyboardist. I play with modes. I'm a progressive, like, electronic. But I mm-hmm. use analog synths. But songwriting is really important. And, like, in this age of EDM and trance, you know, sometimes it's good to go back to what Dylan and Arlo Guthrie and Woody Guthrie and people with Neil Young just in terms of song structures. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always thought that a good song is a good song, no matter what genre it is. Mm-hmm. You, you can... You can take, if it has the bones of a good song, just with an acoustic guitar and a vocal, 
Yeah. You can turn that song into whatever you want, whether it's EDM or heavy metal, you know. If it's if it's got the good roots, it'll it'll hold up no matter what. Yeah, that's what's interesting today is that, you know, there's so many cross genres and people who are, you know, just purely using digital audio workstations. I'm more of a dollist producer. Uh-huh. I'm kind of in into like analog and modular sense going back to the old modes from the 50s cool yeah that's a lot of work so props to you <laughs> yeah well i like to i record in a very old style uh in terms of i because i have analog sense i don't like them going into pro tools and getting impressed so i put them down right down to tape and um in that way you kind of record like you know fleetwood mac at sound city you're doing it track by track you're doing like what eric clapton did with uh you know Derek and the dominoes yeah, absolutely. And my, fa- my, you know, my my heroes are like Keith Emerson and Stevie Wonder, Bernie Worrell, you know, guys who are really using, mo- you know, analog synths, and, and, and you know, making them con- to be considered as just as important as guitars. And that's yeah. where I kind of live. A lot of people who are electronic musicians today they're just using MIDI keyboards, and they've kind of lost what Keith Emerson or Pete Townsend or any of the great, you know. Uh, Rick Wakeman, Bernie Worrell, all the, you know, Sun Ra, all these great bands that use these instruments, people have kind of lost it. Electronic music is not just a MIDI keyboard. It's, yeah. It's it's like, do, do we ever do a Model D or an ARP 2600 or, you know, or a Jupiter 8 or a Prophet 5? Yeah. It, I, there's, I, there's something about those instruments that it's not just that, oh, I can get a plug in. There's something about those original instruments. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I think live instrumentation is always it's it's really fun because you get the person and the instrument's expression which is cool because i think sometimes the electronic you can't quite get that raw feeling of a person yeah and the analog has the kind of you know it, it can feel like a banjo it can feel like like a traditional instrument if you're using an old analog mode they mm-hmm. have character yeah know? yeah for and sure they were hand built so i mean they, they they're kind of like having a classic guitar from the 50s yeah. or something but but what's interesting, you're in a place where there's tons of like exemplary studio musicians of all you know, master you know musicians. Yeah. So so when you record in Nashville, do you work with a lot of people who are using traditional instruments, or or is everybody kind of moving toward doing Pro Tools and and using DAWs? And I, I probably it's a mix of both, but I would think we we have so many great musicians where you are. Yeah, I think. I think there's definitely a mix of both. I think the standard DAW that I've noticed is definitely Pro Tools and then Logic occasionally. Um, I think some people do add in analog to like the finishing touches for like mixing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think, yeah, you can, ha- you can hire musicians, especially drummers, because the power behind real live drums is just. Yeah, well, I'm a total fanatic for like Motown stacks drumming. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you go back and look at like songwriting, and you look at what the Motown drummers were like, you know, the Percy Shuffle. There's all these great drummer capabilities. You know, the Funk Brothers and all the other great studio musicians. I think some people have forgotten how great a real drummer is. But you're in a place where they where they haven't forgotten, like New Orleans and where you are in Tennessee. That's a place where they really have a lot of great drummers. But you know, a lot of people they well, I'm just using 808, or just use a plug-in, or just but but there's nothing like a real drummer that can create unbelievably complex beats that are just sound simplistic, but they're really, you know, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. 
so I think it's it's as far as recording, it's a mix of a little bit of everything. Um, it's got the live instruments for what you want, and then you use your keyboard to figure out what else, what other sounds you have that you might not have access to. Like I, I love the sound of the harp, and mm. I don't personally know a harpist uh, here in Nashville, so I'm probably gonna add that into one of my songs through a MIDI keyboard or whatever. Yeah, like like a key step or something against a MIDI plugin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, because like a lot of people, you know, they they're able to get these big sound libraries because of the plugin plugins and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but it's, you know, I'm a big mode guy. Like I said, you know, I'm a big analog Euro rack type synth. I like creating my own tones. Yeah. Um, and there's something about that. But, you know, like if you're a bedroom musician and you have, you know, a bunch of plugins and you're using Splice and you're, you're, you're doing all kinds of interesting stuff. You know, I work with rappers using MPCs and that's kind of traditional, kind of old school. Yeah. Um, sampling and stuff there's a lot of cool stuff you can do you know with the old or 808s and you know the, the different tools that Roland created like the tb3s and things like that the rappers and the hip-hop guys used with the 808s and the 909s but what's interesting is um you know you're you're in this environment where you have traditional recording studios and you also have like the, the, the pro tools like bedroom recording yeah absolutely so, so do you spend a lot of time like in which area do you do you because you're in Nashville I think you probably went there so you could work with the musicians do you spend more time like working with in the studios and in, in actual live um situations or you, you you spend more time doing like DAW work um I'm personally not as good at using the DAWs uh I respect everybody who is um uh, so I usually tend to go to studios and work with other people I also just I like working with other people I like songwriting with other people and just getting getting the other side like the other point of view on a song because yeah. i don't know I, I write the songs and i'm in my bedroom and i've got my feelings and i'm all into it but you don't realize like oh maybe this part needs a slight change or it could be even better if you add this if and somebody else might have this great idea to add on to it yeah it's so. like if you're if you're a solo artist that's interesting because you have to pick like you're in a band, you got your band, right? You're in a four-piece band. You got a drummer, you got a bass player, guitar player, keyboardist. Yeah. If you're a solo singer, songwriter, then you get to kind of pick your palette, to pick your players. Yeah, to, absolutely. To work with. So the how do you make those kind of choices based on like I guess you write your song, you do your demos, you work on your stuff, and then you try to find people to collaborate with to kind of bring your vision to life. Yeah, completely. Um, I I was lucky enough to just run into a friend who I met. Uh at a hat store and they introduced me to some really great producers here in Nashville and I knew no one when I moved down here in September and so I've gotten to know more people just from recording in this studio and get like go like I went and visited a different studio a couple nights ago and got to like play music with a new producer and get kind of their take on the same song that I'd been working on with other people. Oh, so sometimes you like to take the same song and then see how different producers adjust it or bring bring something to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I think that you can add that people have something great to add no matter what. Like I, I don't know. I've always thought that a song is never truly finished. And I think most musicians would kind of agree that. Oh yeah, I mean, there's always of... something that they want to add, but 
Well, they'll, go, they'll come back to songs and like change them, you know. You, yeah, yeah, completely. You get, you, I mean, I was, you, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of like Hendrix, and he had like so many variations. Yeah, completely. On, on, on all, like he, like his soloing is so great. But like, you go back if you're a real Hendrix file, right? And, and none go, of it's ever the same. You'll go look at like 30 versions of like Purple Haze. Yeah. And all the solos are great, but like, what made him pick? solo number five to be the one that's yeah. on it. And then you're kind of like, well, it's a choice. And the, but the thing, when you have a brilliant musician like that or a Clapton, and you go back and you listen to the solos, it's like, well, how does, like, how do you get Dwayne Allman or Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page, how do they make those decisions? Because when you listen to the, their solo, they're so phenomenal. It's kind of like, it's, it's the mood that kind of makes the choice that they're all like amazing but it's yeah. kind of like what fits that emotion at the time yeah whatever came to them on the day that they were recording i think kind of sometimes has to do with it of just like this is how i feel today and i'm gonna go with it so how does that work with you with vocals like i, I mean I, I know vocalists put down all kinds of different versions they'll have their original demo version and i always ask this question like when you're doing a song do you find that your initial demo has more honesty than what you end up doing that might be 10 versions down the line? And then do you try to get back to the original honesty of that first version or do you keep on trying to refine it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the original does have a raw emotion to it. I think sometimes you definitely, you, most of the time you have to adjust what you're doing because the song is never perfect the first time you play it through. Um, I Even vocally, like I'll just, I'll be even when I'm in the studio, I'll I'll come up with like a hundred more ideas, and maybe you don't use all of them, but they're there. Um, and you can lay them down or not; that's your decision. But it's also just kind of a fun thing of oh, I had this idea, I was gonna go to the third, and you decide oh maybe not. Like it does, you hear it with the rest of the music, and it doesn't fit as much, so you take it out or vice versa. Yeah, and as a vocalist, you do a lot of like overdubs to kind of build the character or the fullness in the way like a keyboardist or a guitar player might have like five different layered solos yeah. or a keyboardist might have multiple sequenced parts and all kind of like building off of shadow parts and then building on top of them. And so with yeah. your vocals, I know vocalists, they do all kinds of backing vocals and, and all kinds of like, you know, shadow vocals and other techniques. Absolutely. That's like one of my favorite things to do when I'm doing any sort of studio work, whether it's my songs or somebody else's. I love harmonies and I love like background oohs and ahs. Um, I'm actually very inspired by the Eagles. The oh, yeah. harmonies. That's a they, great vocal band. Yeah, great, <laughs> great vocals. Um, and the harmonies and the oohs and ahs that they do have always kind of inspired me and pushed me to think a little bit more about what what vocally I'm going to do with a song. Because you have your main melody and everybody's going to know that. But the the parts that'll make you have the most fun as a musician listening to it is really the stuff that maybe an average person might not notice when they hear it. Like, ooh, did you hear that one beat of silence? Like, yeah. You know. Um, well, what's interesting, like when you go to perform live and you have your vocalist and you have all these layered vocals, I know with like you using Ableton Live, you can still have all that stuff happening. Yeah. You know, or main stage, you could have all this stuff still happening. But like, and sometimes the, like when you're picking like what 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 lines you're gonna play, it's like a keyboard. It's like we'll have like we a lot of times we'll have all these layered parts for an original song, mm -hmm. and there's ones that we're gonna play live, and there's stuff that's like sequenced or running 
you know, on multi-track on the, on Ableton or something. Um, how do you, do you just mostly just sing the main lyric or sometimes do you want to sing some of those other parts? Yeah, I, I feel like I mainly sing the main lyric. However, towards the end of the song, once the people know what I'm singing, I kind of have a little bit more fun with it. Just because I feel like people want to know what the what the song what the original song sounds like, mm-hmm. and then you're like, okay, now you got it. Like I don't need to keep repeating myself. I'm gonna just go off and have a little bit of fun. Uh, I will say when I'm performing live, though, I usually am doing it just with an acoustic guitar player. Um, oh, and- so you don't run like you don't try to run your studio track and have all your backing vocals running at the same time like some people do. No, I I have. Um, I've, I've definitely done that and I love it because you have the full sound that you, you've worked for when you go into the studio and produce it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think, especially here in Nashville, people appreciate just the more live, more like we're off the cuff, kind of like New Orleans. Yeah. The raw, song. raw, that's kind of what they're coming there for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. That's kind of like a lot of times I, I, I work with bands like indie bands and stuff and. A lot of them, they want to replicate exactly. It's kind of like what the Eagles did. It's a famous story that the Eagles on Hotel California, yeah. that tour, like Don Henley and uh, uh, they they basically were were saying like we got to play these songs exactly the way they were recorded. And they actually used to be like James Brown. They would find the members of the band if they didn't play the notes exactly as they were on record. Huh. But I think sometimes when you do that, that becomes a little oppressive. And it doesn't make the touring band have any fun. Yeah, because then you're just playing the same thing every night. I yeah, I do respect I... <laughs> the consistency, especially for new audiences. They don't know what you're. They don't know your song. Like that's yeah, something yeah. I've noticed. Like as a songwriter, it's like I know my song really well, but for everybody else, they have never heard it. They have no idea what you're singing. So you kind of have to kind of stick with that primary form for them to get to know you, I guess. Yeah, that's except if you're in progressive rock or kind of jazz, mm-hmm. and you can kind of have a little more latitude. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because like my, you know, my the big my heroes again were like Genesis and Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and the whole thing with those bands is you know they had structures, but they could go off. Yeah, and then come back, and they didn't always play the songs exactly the same way, mm-hmm. and that was kind of like one of the big things about Hendrix. If you go back and you collect Hendrix's concerts, yeah, how he did the songs is like every time he did it a different way, and that's actually the collectors want the different variations. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's true. When even when, when I played out live with the band, um, like when I was playing out in Berkeley, I it was really fun because if we had to fill a three-hour set but we didn't have quite enough time, we would just go off and like have every instrumentalist in the band solo. And just like have a solo time for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, kind of jam band, all my brothers type of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's kind of like well, you know, I'm 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 kind of showing my age. I'm in my fifties. I grew up, you know, with the Almonds and you know with the Who and yeah. you know and bands like that. You go see a Who concert because it, you know, the way they approached their songs, they would change them. You you uh-huh. pretty much knew Bob O'Reilly, but they would approach it different. Yeah. Um, and you have the main version of it, but then, you know, the solos and when Keith Moon was the drummer, he was just always, in, you know, like a jazz drummer. 
it was like it was like it was very interesting in that time period where bands were willing and the audiences were more patient, mm-hmm. I guess, in terms of they were willing to listen to stuff not exactly as it was on the record. You know. Yeah, I that is very true. I think the the audience has changed over time. Some for good, some for bad. Um, but I, I don't know. I think people who want to hear new music, if they're already seeking that out, are going to hopefully be willing and patient to get to know the artist, which is cool. Yeah, and along the way, yeah. Like did, you're in your, you're in the pop genre, so you kind of have to be in the hook kind of business where you, your, your melody is all is all important. Yeah, <laughs> kind of remembering your songs, so you're kind of locked into a traditional structure. Mm-hmm. But that's what you—that's where you are. That's what you—that's your area. Yeah, and I mean, like, I—that's what's cool is like I can be stuck in my structure, but you just do the little things that helps spoof it up. Like one of my songs, uh, "Steaming Up," it's like a funky like bass and like horns and stuff on the track. And then when I play it live, just with like a guitarist or whatever. Oh, you it, take it like unplugged version? Yeah, unplugged. And it sounds very different. It's still like upbeat and everything, but it sounds more like a nice like beachy vibe where the other one is like. Oh, like, so you like to do like, like the unplugged kind of so- solo, like well, the acoustic kind of version of your songs compared to what's on like Spotify or Apple Music. So if I went and looked at Bumpy Ride or Steaming Up or Twisted, or love is a waiting game. When you play those live, you kind of take an unplugged approach. Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, unless like I have a full band, or if I'm playing it with the track, which I, I mean, I definitely have played with the track, especially for, like, uh, can you see me now and steaming up? It's, it's fun to have those, like, instruments on it. However, mm-hmm. performing some of them live, like Bumpy Ride, it sounds just as good with just me and a piano. Yeah, because so you so you're multi. You can, do you play that. piano too, or you play guitar I, and piano? I I do play a little guitar and piano. I mainly do it for writing purposes. Um, I'm I'm not the perfect performance, uh, instrumentalist. I also have more fun on stage when I can like walk around and like kind of dance a little primarily, bit. Primarily, yeah. So you you feel more comfortable if you're primarily doing vocals rather than playing like yeah. a piano or a guitar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I I can play guitar to write, but as far as performance, I do like having an accompanist so that I can kind of go off and focus on what you're good at. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you know, if you look at the who, you know, you look at Roger Daltrey, you look at Robert Plant, there was a reason why you had lead singers, you know. Yeah, so they could focus on on the kind of fireworks, you know, they have a Freddie Mercury. You know, or David Bowie, they kind of focus in on on the performance aspects. Yeah. You know, even jazz, jazz Joplin. You know, they you, you kind of have to focus on what your main instrument. If you're a vocalist, that's that's your instrument. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like people say, like, oh, I I played guitar for hours a day, and it's like, yeah, but I I like I've sang for hours a day as well. So obviously, like it's it's come naturally for me because I my voice but also like we have to work it as well and do vocal warm-ups and all the all the things <laughs> well you're, you're still a musician because i mean a vocal vocalist is a talent you know you talk you look at any of the great vocalists it's it's just as vital a talent as playing the guitar you know some people who are more instrument you know focused 
musicians always kind of measure that. But I've always been very, I, I think sometimes if you have a singer-songwriter, they might not mm-hmm. be the best guitarist or the best piano player. But yeah. when you have a singer-songwriter actually play on the piano or play on the guitar, there's some kind of honesty about it that oh, doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. That yeah, the I honesty kind of overpowers the need for it to be totally perfect. <laughs> yeah, completely. It's it, Even like Bob Dylan is, Bob Dylan does not have all that good of a voice, but no. everyone loves it because of the expression that comes behind it. Yeah, and even his guitar playing is not the best guitar playing, but when he plays guitar, like if you've ever heard his demos are tangled up on blue, blue. Mm-hmm. him playing his own guitar parts, that might not be as good as like Robbie Robertson, but he it, it sounds really honest. It sounds very, you know, just it's like a complete picture of a singer songwriter. Um, and so you know, you get listen to a Neil Diamond play guitar and actually sing at the same time, or you know, a Carol King, you know, playing piano. Is there's something about that that is, uh, you know, there always could be somebody that's a better player, but sometimes the honesty of the of the person playing, and even the voice not being pitch perfect, like Dylan's, you know, he's not got the best voice in rock and roll but his voice is so vital it doesn't matter yeah (laughs) you know and the content of his lyrics was like poetic you know yeah he's like a master poet so it doesn't you know that's kind of like spoken word you get a guy like you know lou reed is the same kind of thing he's not not the best vocal in the world but his 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 lyricism was like you know like equal to dylan you know in terms of capability so yeah yeah for sure so, um, have you been, you know, you say you work with producers. Are there other artists that you're working with on uh, new material? Like, are you collaborating with people within your genre or outside your genre on new material? Yeah, I, well, that's, like, one thing that's just so vital in Nashville is just anyone you meet, try and write with them or try and just become friends, I guess. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I'm trying to approach it is just anyone who wants to write, I'll write with or just kind of get to know better. Um, I had a writing session with a guy who's a country singer. He's great. And um, he, he like completely sings super country and I can sing country, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am more pop focused. And it was really fun. Cause we also got to just like get to know each other in the process of writing this song and kind of like why we were writing a certain song so I think it's really fun to just work with other people and kind of get to know how different artists approach things yeah it's interesting because if you you know you work you work with like a hip-hop person or you work a dj or you work with like uh you know a punk rocker can I, I have this like punk aesthetic to my music even though I'm pro- kind of progressive mm-hmm. I like bands like who's could do and the replacements and the clash yeah, and like Trent Reznor, I try to bring that kind of punk aesthetic. So if I find a guitar player that's kind of not a progressive guy, not like what we would hear like Genesis or Sticks or something like that, but a guy who's like looser, I yeah. like I, I want to do that because it's kind of that punk rawness, like the Ramones or something. Yeah, that kind of can drive you to write. Like if you get with a drummer, if you get with a live drummer, it can totally change the direction of your demo. Completely. Yeah, you could put something down, but if you get a guy that's a really good heavy rock drummer like a Bonham or Mitch Mitchell or a guy who's playing, you know, channeling like blue note jazz or something, then you totally change the character of what you do. And that that's what's the great thing about playing with other musicians. Like a bass player, you could write a bass part 
on a MIDI keyboard, but if you give it to a real bassist, they're like, wow, that, you know, <laughs> it, it just changes the character, the whole thing. It just makes Absolutely. it so much better. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, that authenticity of having another, another person to work with. So do you have um, like a new project you're working on? You can kind of tell the fans about that, that's yeah. going to be coming out for 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm getting super excited. I'm actually uh, recording as we speak, kind of. Um, the last couple of weeks, I'm just in the studio working. I'm going back in on Monday. Uh, I'll be working on a new EP. I don't have a title for it yet or any of that. It's it's very fresh. Cool. Um, but hopefully it'll be released in like spring, beginning of summer kind of vibe. You're planning um, a tour for it? Or you're just like going to just be in, in Nashville. You got enough places to play. You don't have to really go outside of Nashville. Yeah, I think I'm mainly going to be in Nashville. But I do travel back home to Salt Lake City, Utah uh, to visit family. So I might do a couple shows there as well because I do still have friends and family there. Um, and I might might go visit Boston in spring. So we'll see. Yeah, a couple of places you could probably play there that are into like indie. Yeah, exactly. Indie and scene. Um, also, just like Berkeley has a really good like underground music scene, yeah. And a lot of my friends are in charge of like running that. Cool. Uh, they own like house show concert venues, so I might. Kind yeah, of I'm sit- trying. I'm trying to get into some like electronic clubs in Fenway. I mean, I've played some places like in a uh, Davis Square Theater, and I've, mm-hmm. I've played like you know in in New York City a couple of small clubs. Um, they kind of are into electronic progressive, but yeah, Boston and New York are better to me than New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're an electronic musician in New Hampshire, people don't, they want to hear the Eagles. They want, <laughs> they want to hear Johnny Cash. They want to hear like, you know, Led Zeppelin covers. Uh, yeah. You can't really play original music so much here uh, unless it's folk inspired. So I always have to go into Boston or New York. Yeah. And I mean, that's like one thing with music is yes, there's music everywhere, but, the re- like the reason why I moved to Nashville is because this is where it's at. Like this is the hub. This is where it's gonna. Yeah, what you t- you're trying to do, you couldn't really get a- as much of an audience in Boston. Yeah, exactly. Um, and not that Boston people aren't amazing and they don't listen to music, but it's just like there aren't all that many venues. Yeah. And if they if they are, they're well, some are mainly jazz clubs because of the Berkeley scene, and also they're like just arenas for. Big, big people, big, 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 like professional, super big bands. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's a goal for one day. I would love to play at some of the venues that I went and saw shows at myself last year, but that's a kind of a goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys. I mean, like, I I go to New York and I can play like a Fat Baby, or I can play these little small theaters uh, that have you know, like Marshall stacks and like lights, but they're only three or four hundred people. You know, yeah, or two hundred yeah. seat clubs, and then you can actually, you know, get a get an audience and get a following, get people into it, collaborate, you know, find other indie musicians who are, who are working and just trying to, you know, hone their sound. And uh, you know, that's all fun. You know, as a musician, you want to play wherever you can play. <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, like that's what that's always what I've thought is really fun is just like you show up, and if there are people there, there are people there, and they'll enjoy it. And if there aren't, then you just kind of keep going anyway. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's where I kind of found this podcast, so I can I can kind of help my brand, and I also get to talk to musicians around the world. I've talked about forty different musicians in the last two years, you mm-hmm. know, bands in Berlin, a band in South Africa, you know, French uh, sister duo, 
Uh, yeah. I've, I've talked, you know, EDM, country music, punk rock, progressive rock, jazz. Uh, you even got some actors I actually talked to. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jess Davis, who's on Netflix, like did the Punisher, did a couple of roles on the Punisher, and she's like a working actress in New York City. So I've been able to like talk to a lot of different people. And what we like to do is we always like to have people come back on when they have, a, if you've seen our podcast or, or listen to it, we've yeah. had bands come back when they have a new album. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. So yeah, too. yeah, we always like kind of um, offer that, like when you get close to your, your new project, we can have a show where we kind of debut the album as it comes out and talk yeah. about it. And uh, we look forward to be able to do that with everybody we talk to. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. I'm I'm already getting excited just to get these songs laid down and recorded, let alone getting them out there to the world. So I would love that. Yeah, and we're part of the Spotify family. Anchor is actually part of Spotify. So what's cool about this podcast is it has integration to Spotify. So once you go on Instagram, you can actually link a we'll link a highlight on our Instagram page, which will actually go to the spot the Spotify podcast version of this episode okay great yeah perfect so then when we push it up you can do the same thing when we when you, if you you know understand how that works but we'll do it on our side on our um, instagram sites uh-huh. and um, we'll also push it up on our facebook but this podcast is available on 11 different platforms all across the podcast podcast universe including great. apple and uh, radio public and uh, uh, a lot of different other ones um, so overcast and some, several other ones, but yeah, we're, we're thankful that you were on the show, Angela, right? And, uh, we're going to look forward to listening to your music, um, for 2020. We, we, we're going to put the links up to your website and your Spotify and all the links that we found that we could find a way to attach them to this podcast. Great. Thank you so much. That it truly means artists grow and get get other listeners that not have heard of me before to hear me so this is really well, that's an exciting our goal. what we found is like there, you know mtv used to interview artists instead of having mm-hmm. real have these real world shows and yeah. they used to have shows like 120 minutes and like back in the day where they'd have you know you know bands interview other bands like rem would come on and interview other bands you know oh. and they it, it, i kind of got the idea it's like what's yeah, I'm an artist. And I like all different genres. I just want to talk for free, you know, to mm-hmm. any other artist that's working and kind of help them push their stuff. And then in doing that, people find out about me and I find out about them. And it's it just, you know, it's, it's a learning experience and it's all fun because I love music and I, I have a big collection of multiple genres of everything. And I just like to listen yeah. to everything that's out there. So. Yeah, so I'm the same way. And I think music is and musicians are a community. Like, if we don't have anyone to listen to our songs, there's there's no purpose of doing it. I mean, other than for ourselves, which I mean, I love doing. Yeah, but you want to find an you know, audience. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's what makes the the whole circle go around is supporting each other and listening when others might not. So, yeah, it's cool to I, find out like what's behind the song. You know, it's kind of like behind the music is a podcast. Oh, yeah. Like my goal was, okay, let's talk to these artists and find out about who they are, where they're coming mm-hmm. from, have them tell their story. We're not talking about their relationships, not like some gossip column. We're talking about their art 
and that's kind of what where we focus. Um, yeah. And so we yeah we're glad that you came on the show. I hope you come on again when you have your material new EP ready. And uh, yeah, yeah, just we'll get in touch with you. You'll tell you, or you can get in touch with us. We'll always periodically ask people if they're ready to do something. Um, yeah. So we'll talk to you later in 2020, and it's a great success. That. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. The links will be sent to you shortly within an hour. This will start getting published. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great night. See you soon. You too. Bye-bye.